Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Well, well, well. Looks like you've had a nice rest. How many weeks has it been? How many drinks do you have on tab? How many weeks? It's been a day at best. What are you talking about, Keeper? <sighs> it's going to be a while till you realize, isn't it? You're not going back. Going back? Of course I'm going back. I've just stayed a night. Had a few drinks and all my gear's ready to leave this place. No offense, it's a nice place and all, but I really have to get back to my family. Newborn. Your family. Your old life. It ended when you sat down at this bar. <laughs> Newborn? <laughs> really? Keeper? <laughs> what are you... I'm feeling odd, Keeper. What's happening? Listen, Newborn. A couple of stories to take your mind off your new life. Popsicle Patrol As a state trooper in the cold darkness of Alaska, sometimes I have to go on what we grimly call Popsicle Patrol. It's a common myth that alcohol makes you warmer. In reality, it just makes you feel warmer but doesn't prevent you from slowly freezing to death. Sometimes folks too drunk to drive home from a night of drinking will end up walking home completely unaware of the effects of the elements. One night I came across an old man frozen blue and laying in the snow. Disturbing as that may be, it's not the eeriest thing I've come across while on patrol in this frozen hellscape. That prize goes to what I experienced just a month ago that still has me up at night. There I was in the barren darkness, driving my usual route along the icy roads and checking for drunkards along the thick snow-covered environment. It was especially difficult to see since there was a bit of snowstorm that night. I didn't really expect many people out wandering in this weather. I was just about to head back when I suddenly saw a woman in a large coat walking alone along the side of the road. The snow was coming down in a blinding flurry, and the temperature was much too cold to be walking even with a winter coat. I immediately pulled my vehicle over to check on her. When I opened my car door and stepped out into the snow, a harsh gust of cold wind hit me. It was then that I heard it. The haunting faraway sound of a flute playing was being carried by the arctic winds. I approached the woman who was still walking forward away from my vehicle. Miss, are you all right? I called out to her, but she didn't turn around nor respond. I ran to catch up with her, again asking if she was okay, but she just kept walking. I stood in her path to block her, but she just diverted her course slightly to the left and went around me like a faulty roadblock. It was then that I first got a good look at her face, glimpsed only through the falling snow. She was incredibly pale from the cold. Her lips were very badly chapped and had turned a shade of bluish purple. It looked as if at any moment she could pass out or succumb to the weather, though, like a zombie, she marched onward. Three more people then emerged from the blinding storm. A man, 
and two women. They, too, were walking in the direction of the strange woman. I watched as they fell in line behind her like ducklings in a row. I heard the flute sound again, but louder this time, and the chill went down my spine. Suddenly, the snow stopped falling completely, and my visibility cleared. I saw that more people had now joined this odd parade, this time two men and three women. One of the men was a very elderly man. The rest seemed to range in age from about mid-twenties to early forties. They all wore only a single layer of winter clothing. They looked like any normal people you'd see in a crowd. The only thing off about them was their bizarre, delirious behavior. I put my hand on the shoulder of the guy at the back of the line. Sir, I said forcefully, what's going on? He managed to break free from me and followed the group. I watched in amazement and horror as yet more people emerged from the seemingly empty black night and began following this peculiar line of people walking along the side of the road in the snow. With all of them ignoring my verbal commands, I half-heartedly attempted to handcuff one of them, but they resisted mightily, shaking me off and continuing to move forward like a machine. Nothing stopped the endless march forward. I didn't want to be aggressive or hurt any of these people. I was trying to help them and look out for their safety, but they remained zombified and unconcerned for their own well-being. Looking back, I wish I had tackled them to the ground or done more to stop their reckless parade. In the moment, however, I didn't, and that haunts me. At that point, there were five men and seven women strolling aimlessly in a row through the snow. At a complete loss for what I should do, I phoned for backup. I'm not sure what the heck's going on, but I've got like a dozen people here in real danger of freezing to death. They're not complying and I need backup, I said over the radio. I watched as the group veered off onto the icy road. The situation was definitely becoming more dangerous. Now, the distant flute playing sounded close and I could hear it clearly and continuously. Suddenly, they each stopped and began to strip off their winter clothes. Behind them was a steep slope, hidden beyond a guardrail. As they discarded their clothing, they tossed them away down there. When they were all standing stark naked, they began to march once more off in the direction of the woods. Their bare feet stepping across the ice-covered pavement, I stood bewildered by the deranged display with a hollow feeling in the pit of my stomach. They walked directly into the pathway of any potentially oncoming traffic as they made their way towards the tree line of the wilderness. Only then did I see where the people were heading and where the sound was coming from. The procession of freezing ghouls moved across the slippery road and to the dark snowy woods just beyond it. There, within the dark wood, stood a small, grotesque creature I can only describe as an elf. In its hands, it held a carved wooden flute. It looked like something straight out of an old folklore story or fairy tale. Around the being was an aura of purple light. All I could do was stare at this cartoonish abomination as it played its entrancing music. The creature, noticing that I'd seen it, cocked its head to the side, like a dog, and looked at me with a mischievous expression. 
I lifted my weapon. It had dark, hypnotic eyes, like looking down a deep well. The elf-like being remained unmoved, its lips still pressed to the wooden flute. In that moment, I no longer felt like a police officer aiming a firearm, but like a small child, pretending with a plastic toy gun. It was like I had been taken back to my childhood. The disturbing form began to perform a mocking dance, grinning eerily as it played on. For some odd reason, I was physically unable to squeeze the trigger. The signals from my brain just wouldn't move my hand. Suddenly, a blindingly bright flash of light came from the wilderness and I dropped my handgun. I watched as the line of people disappeared into the woods, and no matter how much I yelled or protested, they faded from sight into the strange purple glow, consumed forever into the light. The elf offered only a small chuckle before running off into the woods. When backup arrived, I didn't know what to tell them. The group had vanished completely, so I made up a lie. I said the pale group of people out there, walking, had phoned for a friend of theirs to give them a ride home and that I saw them safely drive away. If only things were so simple. Consider this the police report I should have written that night. Written by Levy Athens The Crow Girl Alright, now this story might be too freaky to believe. If I'd heard it told a few months ago, I would have laughed it off. Figured it was just a ghost story to scare young kids around a campfire. I wish I could still believe that. It all started about two months ago. I live in a rural area in northern Ohio, surrounded by hills and forests. My house was a modest one, tucked right on the edge of a large woods. The town had roots going back hundreds of years to the settler era, when German immigrants founded our town. The forest behind my home was named Die Dominschen Holzer, which when roughly translated, means the demonic woods. I remember being a kid and listening to stories with the other children about an evil witch who lives in the forest. As I grew up, I was fond of taking walks in these woods. It was on one such walk that I discovered it. It was a noise at first, very soft and faint, and I could barely hear it, although the woods were near silent in the early winter air. It was quiet enough that I couldn't tell what it was, it was just out of place. I continued walking, figuring it was a bird or something. As I kept going deeper into the woods, the noise became a bit clearer, until I could make out what it was. A piano. I just stood there for a second. What the hell was a piano doing in the middle of the forest? And what was someone doing playing it? Intrigued, I walked towards the sound, which became louder the closer I got to it. It seemed to be playing a very slow, sad melody, like that of a funeral dirge. I could almost hear it perfectly when it stopped. I crept closer. I saw through the barren trees a shiny black piano, seat included. It looked brand new. I didn't see anybody playing it or even footprints leading away. The only other living creature I could see was a black crow, sitting top the piano. I looked around the piano but couldn't see any sign that another person had been there. The only thing there was the crow, staring at me with its beady eyes. I shrugged off this strange incident, supposing some town eccentric had left it there and run off before I could see them. While it irked me a bit, 
that they could be in the woods with me. My house wasn't far off, and I'm a fast runner. It was enough, however, to send me walking back home. A few days later, two of my friends, Alex and Megan, were at my house, and I was telling them about what I saw. Alex, who was very sensible and down-to-earth, agreed with my theory and didn't think a lot of it either. Megan, on the other hand, was bold and a bit of a daredevil. She was eager to find out more about the piano and decided to go check it out. I didn't want to see it again, and Alex showed no interest in going, so I told her how to get there, and Megan left, taking her cell phone with her. A half hour later, she hadn't returned, and we were getting worried. Right when we were about to go out and look for her, she texted us, saying she was fine and had just walked home. While it seemed strange that she wouldn't just come back to my house, she assured us she was fine, so we let it alone. Megan was reported missing two days later. The police were all over the case. They even questioned Alex and me, who explained that she had been gone into the woods but texted us saying she was fine. I didn't tell them about the piano, I don't know why, but something in the back of my mind told me I should keep quiet about it. Alex didn't breathe a word of it either. The police combed the entire town and Demon Woods, but I didn't hear anything about a trace of Megan or the piano. A few weeks later, I returned to the forest, although the rest of the town didn't go near it. I walked up the trail to where I had seen the piano. Sure enough, the piano was there. Everything looked exactly the same, only there were two crows now. Both of them were just sitting on top of the piano, staring straight at me. Suddenly, I felt a chill run through me, which dug into my bones no matter how tightly I wrapped my jacket around me. A mist began curling around the trees, and I ran out as fast as I could, never looking behind me, although I was sure something was watching me. It was two weeks later that another man was reported missing. Robert Fields, a man who worked at the power plant. His house, too, was near Demon Woods. The police searched the entire area, but he lived only with his niece and wasn't well known by the town, and the case soon went cold. I was wondering whether his disappearance had anything to do with Megan's when the third case came up, that of a young woman visiting her grandfather. The townspeople were beginning to panic, and Demon Woods had been closed off and a curfew established. Despite this, I still made it to the woods. I don't know why I wanted to go, or how I even got in. My memories of walking there are sort of… off. When I replay them in my mind, it's like I'm watching an old, damaged film. My memories don't become clear until I actually reach the small clearing where the piano sits, but at this point, I was already questioning my sanity, seeing as how the police never seemed to find it. Two more crows had assembled around it, and they were fittering about. In the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of a deep red, the color of dried blood. I whipped around as fast as I could, but whatever it was, it had disappeared. My heart started beating rapidly, but my feet couldn't move, like they were stuck in quicksand. I felt something move behind me, and slowly I turned around to face it. I almost shat my pants. Sitting there on the piano seat, looking at me passively, was a girl. She looked to be a teenager. She had short, blood-red hair that came down to her shoulders, pale white skin, 
Grey eyes the colour of the mist and the long, tattered black dress. She kept looking at me with an emotionless expression. I ran out of there. Screw the trail. I just ran straight. The way she stared, the way she just stared at me, like I was some sort of test subject. Every cell in my body was screaming at me to get out of there. A month later, I'd almost forgotten. Almost. Believe me, I wanted to. But would she let me? No, of course not. It was mid-December, and I was waiting for my dog, Rusty, to finish his business and come back inside. It was freezing, and a light snow had begun to fall. All of a sudden, Rusty collapsed and started twitching and spasming. I froze. I didn't know what to do. His eyes rolled back in his head, and Christ, it was awful. Whenever I close my eyes, all I can see is Rusty moving around like a puppet. When he finally stopped, I walked over to him, but just... Looking at him, I knew he was dead. I didn't want to touch him. I looked up and across the street, I could see a figure shuffling through the snow. Scared, shitless, I ran into my house, locked the door and grabbed the steak knife from the kitchen. I crouched by the door, ready for anything, when I heard a steady knock. I looked through the peephole and, to my shock, I saw Alex. He wasn't wearing a hat or even a jacket. He didn't look cold in the least. He had a dreamy, blank smile on his face, like a little kid falling asleep. There was no way in hell I was opening that door. That smile, that smile on his face, it was the creepiest look I've ever seen on another human being. He knocked again. I still didn't open the door. He kept on smiling. I'm sorry you won't answer the door. My blood ran cold as he spoke in a soft, innocent voice. But you will understand soon. Very soon. He paused. Goodbye. I must walk to the woods now. He walked off. I didn't sleep at all that night. The next day, Alex was reported missing. The police again searched the whole town with nothing coming up at all. I decided to find out more. I had to know what was going on. I again walked through the woods until I reached the piano. The girl was already there, reaching her hand out and looking up to the sky as a fifth crow landed in her hand. Her head snapped around at an unnatural speed and those grey eyes bore into me. She smiled, a smile that didn't reach her eyes. I was paralysed. I couldn't even flinch as she walked over to me, crow in hand. A thousand, thousand crows exploded out from behind her. I don't know what she is. All I know is that she can hypnotize people to come to her, like she did to me. To become her crows. Do her will, and there is no way she is human. But if you ever feel something watching you, or hear something pecking at your window, or just have an inexplicable urge to go just a little further into the woods, that's her. But I suppose it matters very little now. You will not be seeing me again but I will be seeing lots of you. Goodbye, for I must walk to the woods now. Nightingale The guardian of the evening screams, his call of lust destroys my dreams. The city warps his ancient song, its grinding noises ring out strong. His throat bleeds as he chirps and clicks, until he sings like snapping sticks. 
The only nightingale around he sings to, an indifferent crowd. Heartbroken he still slings his swill, all day, all night, a raucous trill. I wish that I could give him peace, perhaps which comes from death's release, not least because each tweet and cheep rings through my head, keeps me from sleep. I feel unhinged day after day. I'll force this bird to go away. With whispered glee I clasp the dart. With this I'll tear the bird apart. And if I miss I'll try again. The worthless bird must meet his end. So I set out twixt day and night. I have the birdie in my sight. I jam the blow dart in the tube. A bird insomnia adieu. With one attempt I shoot him down. I let his corpse lie on the ground. I sleep quite well and then I hear that awful squawking pierce my ears. Where are you now? I cry in pain. Why are you on this mortal plane? Demon, I'll murder you again. The volume doubles, triples, then a spectral form flies through the wall, repeating that infernal call just when I can't take any more. A gravelly voice comes from the floor. The nightingale is worry-free. Its song has changed. It's no less sweet. You trembled at those dulcet tones, but they brought joy to my old bones. I want to flee, but I stay still, frozen in place against my will. Now you can only hear the world, so hear the sweetness of the bird. Now in the living room I lie, Invisible to mortal eyes. I cannot see or move. It's clear I've turned into a ghostly ear. From time to time, the gravelly voice explains it's offered me a choice. To stay like this or be set free by claiming the bird's song is sweet. Still in the end, it's for the best. Eternal darkness, let me rest. Perhaps I'll hear the bird so long. I'll find the beauty in his song. The House Tis a grove-circled dwelling, set close to a hill, where the branches are telling strange legends of ill. Over timbers so old that they breathe of the dead, crawl the vines, green and cold, by strange nourishment fed. And no man knows the juices they suck from the depths of their dank, slimy bed. In the gardens are growing, tall blossoms and fair, each pallid bloom throwing, perfume on the air. But the afternoon sun, with its shining red rays, makes the picture loom done on the curious gaze. And above the sween scent of the blossoms rise odors of numberless days. The rank grasses are waving on terrace and lawn, dim memories savoring of things that have gone. The stones of the walks are encrusted and wet, and the strange spirit stalks when the red sun has set. And the soul of the watcher is filled with faint pictures he fain would forget. It was in the hot June time I stood by that scene, when the gold rays of noontime beat bright on the green. But I shivered with cold, groping feebly for light as a picture unrolled and my age-spanning sight, saw the time I'd been there before flash like fulgury out of the night. A, a barren, barren hill, hill, 
Barren is this old forsaken hill, with the winds to be oh so still, life to be none of in your sight, crickets not to break the quiet night, nary a wolf to scorn the baleful moon, nor a snake to bask lazily at noon. The grass, oh, tis not spry, the bobcats, they will never cry, the sky, the clouds, they're always grey, not a squirrel to ever play, ringing sharply are your ears, stinging as if twere wooden spears, the silence, Tis the sound of death, always he who killed the breath. The silence, tis of ages old, the silence to make the land so cold. Left to rot by the wise men of old, oh, but you grow so bold, to ignore all you have been told, do you throw away your fear? And as for the silence, will it ever hear? And to the silence will you show, and from the silence will you know. Ah, uh, truly, what are the likes of you? Why, I am the same as you. But are you of the likes of him, the hero to his brother, to his wretched kin? Oh, but are you not also the likes of her? Alas, but I can only concur. But what of all the heavenly bodies? The resemblance is great, none too shoddy. Yet are you not a single thing? Well, surely I am of something. Oh, but you are just silence all alone in this fortress. Lies, oh lies, you say but lies, for still yet I have the greenest of grass. Tis only a warm memory of the past. Oh, but still I have the gentlest of wind, lo, for its last breath has been spent. Yeah, but feel here the warming sun. No, tis gone, just like the drunkard's rum. But I yet possess the beasts and the critters, Yet here only dead bones litter. Oh, alas, for I have just the loneliness of which you've brought to a great finesse. Nor spoken I offer to bring you life, and to them I'll give them nary a strife. And do you promise to keep it well, this gift surely never to dispel? And so it is time to bid farewell. Well, hero, please stay well. And so you bring forth life, as is meant to always last, and so you bring forth grass, as is meant to spread so fast, and so you bring forth wind, as is meant to be so loud, and so you bring forth the sun, as is meant to be so proud, and so you bring forth beasts, as are meant to be so diverse, and so you banish the loneliness which much now away traverse, the silence, the void, as one to be for all to see. As is one, as is so, as for you not yet to know, at least not now at any rate, for you have surely sealed your fate. Hark, for I have brought forth to you the grass, and I shall plant it by the mass, and I have brought forth to you the wind, and the gentlest breeze it shall send. Here I have brought forth to you the sun, Oh, yet this gloom it shall so shun, and now I've brought forth to you the critters, oh, please, oh, please, send them hither. And so the sun buds open a rose, and so the green grass grows, and so the wind breathes forth a gentle sigh, and so the critters play under the azure sky. Lively in this old new hill, with the wind to be not so still, life to be much of in your sight, crickets all to break the night, many a wolf to howl at the moon and proudly bask. To the snakes at noon. The grass, oh, tis so spry. The bobcats, from joy they cry. The sky, the clouds, such a fine display. 
now for all the squirrels to play. Lingering won't are your ears, singing as twere golden lyres. The harmony, for it tis the sound of breath, always he who saved from death. The harmony, tis so freshly new, the harmony to make the land not crude. My, oh my, tis such a sight, oh surely this be your might. <laughs> Why, this is only the beginning, for your head shall soon be spinning. Oh, whatever do you mean, lo, for this fabric shall be torn by the seams. Hark, oh, hark, oh, hark, yes, why all this bark? Here so am I the harmony, of all shall I send to purgatory, for as well am I the void, this here my biggest of ploys, and so the sun swallows all those opposed, and so the grass burns all those exposed, and so the wind sends all awry, and so the critters melt in the flame so high. Alas, alas, tis so the void, alas, alas, Tis so devoid. The cricket's songs now turn to screams. The wolf's blood now flows in the streams. The bobcat's tears now burning blood. The squirrel's skin a molten flood. The toad's throats now turn to stone. The bird's feathers now crisp cocoons. The bee's body's now fit to burst. The beast's overtaken by deadly thirst. Alas, alas, tis so the void. Alas, alas, tis so devoid. The sun implodes, a nerva so great a sight, the wind rips apart the vast earth's might, the screams tear the heavens to shreds, the blood kills that from which it bled. Alas, alas, tis so devoid, alas, alas, tis so devoid. All that exists sucked into the void, all pondering minds seized by the void, all once paradise destroyed by the void, all that was chaos, now peace by the void. Alas, alas, tis so devoid. Alas, alas, tis so devoid. In the void all is calm. In the void no pleasure or qualm. In the void never a ship to sail. In the void no minds to wail. Alas, alas, tis so the void. Alas, alas, tis so devoid. The City in the Sea Lo, death has reared himself a throne, in a strange city lying alone. Far down where the good and the bad and the worst and the best have gone to their eternal rest. There shrines and palaces and towers, time-eaten towers that tremble not, resemble nothing that is ours, around by lifting winds forgot. Resignedly beneath the sky, the melancholy waters lie. No rays from the holy heaven come down on the long night time of that town, but light from out the lurid sea streams up the turrets silently, gleams up the pinnacles far and free, up domes, up spires, up kingly halls, up fanes, up Babylon like walls, up shadowy long forgotten bowers of sculptured ivy and stone flowers, up many and many a marvelous shrine. Whose wreathed friezes intertwine, the vial, the violet, and the vine. Resignedly beneath the sky, the melancholy waters lie. So blend the turrets and shadows there, that all seems pendulous in air, while from a proud tower in the town, death looks gigantically down. There are open fanes and gaping graves, yawn level with the luminous waves, 
But not the riches there that lie in each idol's diamond eye. Not the gaily jeweled dead tempt the waters from their bed. For no ripples curl, alas, along that wilderness of glass. No swellings tell that winds may be upon some far-off happier sea. No heavings hint that winds have been on seas less hideously serene. But lo, a stir is in the air. The wave, there is a movement there. As if the towers had thrust aside, as if their tops had feebly given, a void within the filmy heaven. The waves have now a redder glow, the hours are breathing faint and low, and when amid no earthly moans, down, down that town shall settle hence, hell rising from a thousand thrones, shall do it, reverence. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed your set of stories and poems. I wanted to share something different today, and I've also used my new software to tweak and master that very same audio. So different on two accounts. Gotta say, I'm loving it. Mates, this Monday coming, I'll be taking a break, as I've got a holiday starting from today to Tuesday. Back with you lovelies, though, on the Wednesday. So when I don't pop up in your RSS feed, that'll be why. Now, lovelies, if you have 10 seconds spare, swing on by my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt where you can support the show directly there or you can swing onto my iTunes page and leave a scathing or good review whichever you like so others will know this podcast is around and about now I want to thank my old night tea titan Majestic Maya your donations have flown straight into production today and covered off the cost for using the RX software an absolute kicker of a tool I'm able to remove unwanted breaths, pops, clicks, and accidental harsh P's and deep S's, whilst also equalizing the audio. I even have the ability to create some new voices from the tool itself, so I can't wait to deliver something new. I'm taking a little bit of time to of course learn the tool, it's going to be a little bit hit and miss in some areas, but as I use it, the better I'll get. Thanks to you Maya, I had the opportunity, and you've given me a chance to become even more creative. You're amazing. My white tea warlord, Lazuka Bowazuka. Bam! Thank Leza for being a superstar and supporting me, as always. Today I pull in new music and have been working hard at even tweaking old music to showcase a different side to an old audio set. The best bit about your support is that it flies straight into production and also covers the costs for existing plugins. Thanks, man, for being, you know, you. Brilliant. My second white tea warlord, Pagio Maximo. Thank you, Paige, for being brilliant yourself. I can't wait to spend some time this weekend getting back to you, and it's going to be a riot reading through more of your email. As I'm usually time poor, I read some responses in chunks, so I can't wait to read through the rest of your lovely email and sit down to respond. Like I've said in the past, I love hearing from supporters like you, Paige, so I'm excited to do so. Thanks for being awesome, and I'm grateful for your support, Paige. You're brilliant. And my fantastic lightning-in-a-bottle peeps my Earl Grey Enforcers, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo, Yocone, Divided by Zero, and Leah Fassig. Thank you, you living legends. Every dollar you do actually helps. I'm assuming in some other Patreon environments, you might not know where your dollar dues go. My goal is to always be transparent and identify where your money goes. You're improving quality of the audio and... You're ensuring that I don't go mad with delayed workflow or processing issues. So thank you so, so much. You are literally giving me hours back of my life. (laughs) 
Also, I can't wait to use the new tool next week and edit the old time radio with the new skills and tools that I have. <laughs> Good stuff. Mates, stay safe, take it easy, and as always, till next, we meet.